Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How's it going today, Anthony? Pretty good. I woke up today. Atta boy. Yeah. Gotta keep fighting. That's right. Yeah, that's the key. That end. Oh, the most satisfying sound. That's good. You know, on an episode of Good Mythical Morning, they were trying to determine what the best sound is, and that's what they came up with. Cracking a beer? No, no, just just a pop, oh. popping a pop, a can, right? Like that, yeah. Okay, yeah, could be anything. Could be anything. Pepsi. Could be a Pepsi. Could be a monster. As long as it sounds like that, that's the most satisfying sound. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can get behind that. You know what was satisfying? What's that? The finish of the Bristol race at the cup level. Yeah, that was uh, I. I was working on the car that day, so me and Jerome went in and had dinner, and we were watching a bit of it. And uh, it just it, it, it had started to rain, so we walked away. Actually, went back to the shop. We figured it was a rain out at that point, and uh, apparently we missed a good one. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I feel bad for Reddick though. That wasn't that good. I mean, that was uh, and those cars. Oh, I feel bad for those dudes. Like. Honestly, it looked like they were trying to to wrangle pure stocks around that track with those things. Yeah. Like next year, I don't know. I, I'm. We'll talk more about the finish here in a second. But to me, I'm totally with Kyle Larson on this one. That uh, if they want to do this, they should be doing it right. Knock the glass out of them. Put a little bit of decking over the cars. Like they could build a kit for that for like a thousand bucks, right? And uh, put tear-offs on and quick-change visors on the helmets and let them run in the dirt properly. And then you can get the track nice, nice and wet so that you don't care if there's some dirt flying around. And, uh, and you know, make these things a little bit lighter. Find a way to give them some rear steer a little bit. You know, make them drive proper. And, uh, and they'll put on a better show because they were just holding on for dear life out there. And, uh, and you can see it in that last lap. That was not a very big hit. And there's no chance Reddick was hanging on to that thing. So so I'm going to play devil's advocate here because... Sure. How much do you want to change the car till it's not a cup car anymore is the first question. Well, I don't think that that's not a cup car anymore. Um, I mean, if you made it so that they could lose like... Well, I don't even know how much those cars could actually lose. They don't have lead bolted onto them. They build them heavy where they want. That's the right. They're what thirty six hundred pounds is what they're supposed to be, or something 36, like that. Six, yeah, yeah, something like that. So I mean, that's pretty freaking heavy. Um, so I mean, yeah, I guess that might be an issue. Uh, but uh, you know, the stuff like rear steer and uh, and letting them play around with a little bit more of yeah. that kind of stuff. I don't know. To me, there there must be. Oh no! I guess rear steer would be a lot harder now with their independent rear yeah. suspension. Though. Yeah. See, I think oh, honestly, I think they did a lot of things right for this second year. I think going to night race was a great idea. Yeah, um, for sure. I think the new car uh, works quite competitively on that surface out there. There's, um, I found that it did look like for the most part there, I mean, the rain did help, but for overall it was, there was some racing going on there. It wasn't like everyone running the bottom the whole time or everybody running the top the whole time. 
Um, I thought overall, I heard, I didn't watch the truck race, but I heard the truck race was really good as well. If not better than the cup series, I think there's just a lot of good things going for it. And I probably wouldn't disagree with you to say, you know, I know they did test without the windshield. Um, I think what happened is there just wasn't enough time to test and implement something. I would not be shocked that they decided to take the windshields out and do the, the tear off side of it. I just don't know based on how it went this year uh, with the night show and everything else that taking out the windshield is necessary. Um, if you, well, can... yeah. And the bigger problem wasn't the windshields this time. It was the, uh, the cooling. Right. Like, right. They, they were plugging up the, the cooling ducts with air, with mud. Right. Uh, last year it was a windshield thing with that whole truck fiasco, but uh, uh, this year that didn't really affect them at all. That's and, right. Uh, that's, you know, yeah, it's just it's so okay. tough because you're doing so many one-off races right like like we've talked about this before in terms of like how many cars are on a racetrack and you know yeah sure you can have three cars out there and have a good race once every 10 races right um right. or twice every 10 races depending on the size of the track and the circumstances but we do know that the more cars that are out there the more opportunity for more racing to be happening and i think the same thing goes with the nascar thing is that look you only have like one weekend out of the whole year you get that you're doing this so not every year is it going to be an amazing, great program. But I think that the things that they looked at of what they could improve that would actually help increase the odds of putting on a good show, I think they hit the nail on the head for the most part. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, at the end of the day, I would still look at any NASCAR fan, you know, diehard, just watches NASCAR on TV kind of fan and say did you enjoy the show they say yeah yeah i thought it was great okay well that would probably rank well outside the bottom 100 uh dirt races i've ever watched yeah come and come to a dirt track and watch some late models and sprint cars and you will spit on watching nascar after this or at least nascar on dirt Mm -hmm. it's just it's not to me it's not a great show i mean Look at how much faster the other cars are and still providing good racing. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of their, eh, what am I trying to say here? Like they're, they're, you know, saying that they're, they're back to their roots and they're supporting dirt racing, but they're doing, you know, comparatively a terrible job of it. And, uh, and uh, have you watched the old dirt races from the sixties on YouTube in NASCAR? Uh, no, I have not. Snooze fests. <laughs> oh yeah, you know well, it went. I mean, it was cool, but it went cool, but it you know it it went blue and it dry slicked off, and I mean, uh, yeah. you know, but I, I honestly, when it comes to NASCAR and and, and the, the Cup Series and the trucks there on dirt, I think that you're that's better racing today than overall what it was on dirt back then for that same series type oh, deal. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, but, but I know where, NASCAR, I know where you're coming from because yeah. you're coming from the whole perspective just like, well, you want to see a dirt race, here's a dirt race. But we need to remind ourselves this is a cup race on dirt, not a dirt right. race on dirt. Right. Right? Yeah, this is an asphalt series on dirt. And when No, you- no, answer me this though. Yes. No, the just taking Bristol itself and especially it's a tragedy what they actually did to Bristol. And they finally made it good and uh, and made it so that you could run from top to bottom with the progressive banking. 
uh, you know, that was that was the best racing, mm-hmm. in my opinion. That was the best configuration that Bristol ever had. And I would take NASCAR on that over NASCAR on dirt at Bristol any day. Right. But, I don't know. But that's gone, and now we have dirt. That's gone. <laughs> I know, I know. Old man yells at Cloud and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to diminish your... Uh, your thoughts on things that used to exist but i think that if i think from the relationship of what it means to be in the cup series and where it's evolved to it is definitely going back to their grassroots to a level and we need to be reminded that this is a cup series that is normally an asphalt uh series running on dirt and not a dirt race running on dirt i mean imagine how ridiculously different it looks i mean we've seen it when we've watched uh when was it elko speedway decided to run with sort of midwest modifieds and we saw st go down there and run not that it was a bad race but you know it was basically a dirt car going on asphalt in a little quarter mile racetrack with asphalt tires a completely different experience watching a dirt car going on asphalt track unless you want to burn the tires off of it by drifting all the way through and did you ever see a video of that i did yeah, it's on youtube dirt yeah. late model yeah yeah where he's burning the whole track. tire off yeah it was a uh, oh, yellow yeah. car um yeah. but you yeah. can watch Esty's video as well running that alcohol race and and it's just like that's one of the most that's a boring race technically watching dirt yeah. cars running on asphalt um but so we have to look at the whole pretense here that this is an asphalt class running on dirt to try to put on a different type of show. And I think that for the most part, they've improved upon that and made it exciting. And, and as you wanted to mention, you know, like the finish, you know, he, he, he knew it probably wasn't going to stick and then he effed up. <laughs> and I, I can't believe that Reddick wasn't even a little bit mad at him. Did you that see the size difference? <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but still, I mean, I know I've gone up. I've I've tried to fight drivers I shouldn't have been fighting when I was really <laughs> mad getting out of the car. You know, like me versus Kevin Sexton. Yeah, that's not going to end well no, for me. But no. I still went over to his pit anyway. Yeah, well, you know? I, those crew guys in behind looked like they wanted to do something though. They were ready, yeah. But uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's I I wouldn't have been as cool with it. That's for sure. You no, know, he took it in stride in a big way. But uh, I found it. Yeah. It was very undirt track like of him. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a great. Gentlemanly. Yeah, it was a great way to put a cherry on top of the whole uh, cake here type thing. Where um, it was just like, okay, now you got a bunch of asphalt drivers that are running on dirt, and um, someone just pulled the worst slide job ever. And takes you out, who's leading the race, and in a normal late model slide job move, getting put into the wall, um, there would be an entire war happening on that racetrack. Nope, nope, nope. This is Cup Series. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, he was blaming himself for it. I don't know if you listened to his interview. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have let him get that close to me, and blah blah. blah. I was just like, wow, I have never seen this on at a dirt track before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was. Uh... Yeah, good, good on him. A very good attitude, but first uh, for everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, they're heading back there this weekend with the World of Outlaw Sprints. That's right. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Those guys are just they're like three seconds a lap faster than the Cup cars. Four wow. seconds. Well, you shorten the yeah. wheelbase and make them a lot lighter. Oh, yeah. So much downforce. Uh, yeah, it's it's something to see. So I'll, uh, I'll probably be tuning in to watch that one and. And just working on the car, just about ready here, putting the finishing touches on it and getting that together. The snow hasn't completely then, melted. How are you? How are you working on your car? You, you're not supposed to start until the snow's gone. 
Yeah, I know. I've, I've seen that's kind of been the trend lately. Yeah. A lot of people who really waited until like right now to start working on I, this stuff. I talked to somebody just a couple days ago and the comment was, well, you know, not really in a hurry to get, I mean, the snow hasn't even disappeared yet. So, you know, I'm not really in a hurry. I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, man, we had nothing to do all winter. Like COVID <laughs> didn't really like come to a head until not that long ago that's right and like what the fuck are you doing all january and february you know <laughs> freezing your arse <Right>. off <laughs> oh right or not you were just sitting in your house just hibernating which is uh which we still are wild. apparently uh, yeah i mean it's uh it's starting to come around i think yeah this weekend's gonna be gonna be all right but it's still supposed to be wet so yeah i don't know we'll see uh first race was supposed to be this weekend that's not happening uh maybe maybe may 7th but that's also not looking great if i was a betting man it would be uh the week after it would be on the plus side of the odds i would have to say mm. um you know when you're talking the the nonsensical betting format with the plus 100 right kind of thing so uh yeah it would be up there somewhere so and you're then, thinking like uh, the 14th or what i guess yeah yeah, that's probably realistically when we're going to go. But I'll be ready for the 7th, and if it goes, it goes. So, All right. Yeah. No practice laps. Just going to jump in her and uh, kick the tires, light the fires. Let's go. You'll do fine. <laughs> well, one of two things will happen. You'll either do fine or not do fine. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's just whether it's catastrophically fine or catastrophically not fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see what's going on. How's how's things coming together with old uh, Lake of the Woods Super Speedway there? Oh well, it's still kind of small right now with all the snow. Um, as of the recording of this, I went out there and there was still a uh, two feet of snow on the backstretch, and most of the facility has drifty snow. And I mean, it drains great. There's almost no sitting water or anything, but. Um, there's just still lots of snow. Um, the track is still completely covered other than a couple spots with snow, uh, probably three, four inches left over from the 10, 12 inches we got a week and a half ago. And, um, but it'll go pretty quick once it starts getting sunny, you know, eight to 10 degrees is coming up here, uh, over the next few days. And then even warmer after that, I'm, uh, where we are, we're at the home and leisure show this weekend. So when this episode comes out, we'll be out there. Uh, for Friday and Saturday, showing off a local four-cylinder because no one else is ready. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, get the grocery getter out there. Yeah, we're going to have to. Every, bangers. <laughs> everybody else's cars in the shop ripped to pieces still or in somebody else's <laughs> shop ripped to pieces. Uh, and then uh, and then hopefully next week we'll get the grader going. It needs some work, so we're going to get that ready to go. And then I'll start shaping the track as best I can and start sheep's footing it to get it hard enough so we can get the – the dump trucks on it to start hauling our 35, 40 loads of clay, which should will come in within a week or two after half loading comes off. And of course, because it's such a late spring, half loading probably won't come off until exactly one month from now. Usually it's around the 18th of May. Uh, it's looking more like the 26th or 27th of May, unless things change rapidly where we could get some sunny, dry, 28 degrees Celsius weather. Who knows? Um, yeah. And then, um, 
yeah, we got 250 loads of B gravel to haul to f- finish the pit area on the north and the stands on the south side and the pit uh, or the south side of the uh, racetrack as well, reberming it all, uh, black earth to get into the infield, the clay on the track and reshape, the wall lifted in on the front stretch a bit, some more cable into the fencing, uh, off ramp rebuilt, uh, and all new boards on where we don't have boards on the bleachers. So there's lots hey, to do. I got an idea. Yeah, what do you got? luxury suites way up on the rocks on the back straightaway that's right what do you think that sounds great we'll get there okay one day one day i dream every day of a finished facility that would be cool wouldn't it though that could be that could happen it will happen yeah but we got a ways to go we've got a way to go Like, I got to think about how we're going to fit, like, 70 race cars for our two-day show. And I I know we expanded in the fall and and so on. And I know how much more we need to fit everybody up there. But that that takes time and work. And we're really focused on that uh, this spring to get as much of that hauling in uh, to really... So when people get here uh, on that big show, we will have... Hopefully, we'll have lots of room in the pit for 70 plus vehicles in there we could we were able to fit about 60 pretty 62 pretty tight and we had to do overflow on the pit in the grandstand side of course if we don't have any limits uh the grandstand side is going to be pretty full so we're doing everything we can to make sure that the uh, the pit area can fit everybody comfortably so we're very close to that goal i do have to say this and i'm not just pumping up your tires because you're my co-host okay uh you know accepting pit areas that use concrete uh because that's so nice it's cheating uh one of the nice pit areas in Minnesota with that crushed granite thank you beautiful oh you love to see it not dusty nice and clean you can drive it can start raining and no one cares there's not a mad dash and people mugging old ladies to get them (laughs) out of the way to get out to get out of the pit first yeah yeah, no, yeah. you can wait it out seen, until the rain stops. Yeah, I've seen some bad behavior of people trying to get out before other yeah. people. I've experienced you know, it. Like, it brings out the worst. Yeah, it really does. The lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah, and it's what's really nice too. Just to add to that note is when you have that both for parking and your bleacher or anything, and the only thing you have to worry about getting wet is the racetrack. Then you can at least focus on getting the racetrack in shape. And see if it's plausible without worrying about everybody else getting stuck exactly. or rushing out of you there. Don't spend, yeah, like that's that's the the one of the challenges here in Winnipeg is your bigger problem is just can the cars get in because the track is fine, but if the people can't park in the parking lot and they can't park in the pit area, then it doesn't matter because the they won't let you park on the road. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the nice things and 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 being able to do that and be like, okay, like if it rains, drizzles for the like what happened with the super truck show there a couple of years ago. Uh, will be a couple of years this summer, you know, it was a light drizzle for an hour and a half and yeah, the track was slime, but hey, you know what? You could just wait it out and sit on this nice gravel and then we went out and see if we could pack it in. We did that in 30 35 minutes of course if it starts raining like that at a place like winnipeg well or even emo because they got you know the horse track well do you wait it out or do you like you don't you got to make a decision like should we rush everybody out of here you don't know i mean look at what our forecast looked like that day it was just one gigantic green radar 
and it rained for 45 minutes maybe and then it stopped and we packed it in and went racing so yeah no there's there's lots of benefit that way and uh it's yeah i think the only issue that the complaint i get really is that uh you got to put a piece of cardboard down if you want to work on your car otherwise you'll get up with a bunch of holes in your in your butt but <laughs> you could back. still lay down on it and not get dirty that's right that's true so you know whoever said that they can <laughs> they, they can talk to me after the race <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i think they were joking more than anything but okay. um well, they better be. they better <laughs> Better think before they open their mouth next time. Yeah, I mean, alternatively, that, that big gravel stuff that we haul has big boulders in it. It gets wet spots that cause it to sink. And it's just, you know, we really don't have much choice but to put that a gravel on top just to finish it nice. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we have the benefit of being right beside a quarry and uh, being able to have short hauls. And, you know, you only need four or five inches of that stuff to really cap it nice. But, yeah, I'm very pleased with how that stuff's turned out. And what will happen, we'll have, we, we have expanded with the B gravel again and we'll we'll finish that off as best we can this spring and then we will cap it with more a gravel so we should be able to add about 150 feet or so to the east um so that there'll be space in the middle of the parking area as well uh for smaller vehicles to rate uh to park uh so the bigger rigs will basically go on the west side and the east side and then any smaller rigs that we need to fit in can go in the middle so we'll have kind of like a, a horseshoe type of parking type style uh, once it gets cool. all done. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it and all the work and upgrades that we're going to put into it again. Uh, it just looks really good once you get it done. Yeah, definitely. Right on. Well, you want to uh, jump into this interview? Absolutely. It was a fun one. It was. Sean was like a, it's like a wind-up toy. You just crank <laughs> him up there, wind him up in the back, and just let him go for like 10 uh, minutes. I, and then, I was going to say the uh, same thing. Like He's one of those <laughs> guests that you have where you just like give them a piece of paper yeah. with one word, yeah. and then they just go at it for 10 <laughs> minutes. And then you write another word, and then they go at it for another 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but it was fantastic. I, was. We had a great time chatting with him, and uh, yeah, you guys will enjoy it. For our next guest on Bench Racing Radio... <laughs> This guy hails from Winnipeg, uh, was a long-time racer in street stocks, modified super stocks, late models. Picked up a NOPA street stock championship a while back. He's got over 35 feature wins to his name. Welcome to the podcast, number 11SR, Sean Shadow Holden. How's it going, buddy? Hey, not bad. Thank you very much. You yeah. don't. Yeah, I like the exaggeration on some of the stuff. It makes me look good. Sure. <laughs> it all helps. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Right. It's your story. You can tell it all you want. Right? Well, it's, you said bench racing, so we all we're all better at bench racing than we were on the track. So <laughs> exactly, the older we get, the faster we were. Right? That's that's right. I, at one point, I was so fast, I think I ran into my own mud. So <laughs> uh, that's great. So, uh, well, what's keeping you busy these days? What have you been up to? Well, we're still fielding a late model team, which my son Shane drives. Um, we've been working with JMS Motorsports and the, the parts sales. I've been working with John for over 10 years. John's stepping back and we're kind of picking up where he's leaving off. And that keeps us busy in the, in the summer trying, trying to get parts to guys and keep people on the track. And the big issue right now, I'm sure everybody's talking about is tires and how we're going to get through a, another year with a shortage of tires. And, I think they're going to be another shortage. Which yeah, it's it's tough because 
It's especially bad when it you can see it coming from so far away. Like they said last fall, there's probably going to be another problem this year. And, uh, you know, and it's not just a Hoosier thing. It's fun to hate on Hoosier, but it's not just them. American Racer just had to shut their factory down this week because they ran out of raw material. Yeah. So it's not just Hoosier. It's not just one guy mismanaging it. It's it's an industry-wide problem, and it's uh, – it stinks. I mean, I'm not saying we should be paying more and there should be a shortage, but it is what it is, right? No, and, and like I was just down in Bristol with Ricky Weiss and they're, you know, this is the, the top end of dirt track racing and they're limited to six tires a night. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, yeah, it's not just the, you know, the local racers that are dealing with it. It's It's going right through as far as I heard, as far as NASCAR, they're limiting tires as well. So it's like you say, it's not just Hoosier, it's not American, it's all tires brands are having this issue. And is it material? Is it, you know, um, staff? You know, we don't know. We're we're the guys trying to buy them and and keep our tracks or our customers happy. Yeah, no, it's a a tough spot. I wouldn't want to be in it, that's for sure. We'll uh, we'll start off here. We'll go back to the, the very beginning like we always do. Uh, tell us about the first time you ever remember going to the racetrack. Oh, dinosaurs, I think, still run, <laughs> walk the earth. But um, my old man raced. Um, remember going to the track, watching him race. I was 10 or 11, I don't remember. But And then one time there was him and four guys owned a, a car and they – I think I was probably around 16, 17, and they let me drive it. It was a 67 Firebird street stock. So I got to run a heat race, and I remember a guy clipping me and drove, ended up going over the hood of the car. And it and on the Firebirds, it came to a point, mm-hmm. and it flipped the nose up on the car 90 degrees, and that was the best thing ever, and I've been hooked ever since. I've never found anything more exhilarating to do. There's a lot of things I can do, including sex, that I remember my name. During a race, a good race, someone asks you your name, you probably wouldn't remember it. <laughs> and then after that, I came home. They had put the car up for sale, and I came home from school, and I said, I'm buying the car. And he says, no, you're not racing. I said, you can either sell me this one, or I'll go buy another one. And that's how it started. Bought the car, cut the cage completely out of it, ordered a new cage, put it in there, and that was my first race car and the first car we built. Hmm. And what what year would that have been? That was in nineteen eighty five. Wow. That's uh. So what, going into that, did you have like were you well set up with with tools and equipment and stuff, or were you I had kind of learning it all on the fly tools you know and and hanging around i'd already and we can get back you know i hung around my dad working on cars and and doing different things and one of his friends um he's like you're always around you're like a shadow and then that name that's how i got the nickname the shadow because i was always there and yeah we you know, I didn't know a lot about it. I was 18 years old, I think, when, when I started racing. And you just, you know, back then, you'd come go to the track. You knew you were bringing between 500 and 800 pounds of mud home. So it wasn't, the setups aren't like today. Right. You know, and, and 
driving, it was, you learned and it was all about seat time. And, you know, we, the car I built shouldn't have worked and it worked. We, I think my first year I won a few races and we did well, you know, for a first time out and, but watching, like sit, I remember sitting in the stands and just watching guys and, and, you know, you're going back to the day of Ronnie Powers and Corcoran and uh, Mitch Johnson and, you know, Rick Auckland and guys from around here and just you'd you you learned a lot just by watching and and I tell that to Shane today if he's not racing he needs to watch the other drivers in the class you need to I believe as a driver you need to know more about the other guy than you know about yourself because you need to know who you can go into a corner with and trust and who you know is going to blow it off or try an eight wheel side bite you and you learn by watching way more than, you know, you learn a lot by driving, but I learned a lot by watching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, it, it's good advice for any, any new driver to just soak it in and, and yeah, be paying attention, yeah. you know, and you do, you pick up a lot of characteristics of other people that you, you, when you're driving, you're so focused on what you're doing. You, when you're comfortable, you'll learn things from other guys by, by watching them on the track, how they enter, what they do in the corners, what, you know, is you'll get guys that when you're lining up or a yellow flag, they'll come beside you and, and rev your, your engines and stuff like that to try and, you know, get, get at you and see if they can get under your skin. So when you go into the corner, you'll blow it over or whatever. It's, it's just different things you learn as a driver about different people, what you can do and who you can trust and who you can't. And, and you got to be able to trust, you know, and them on the track as well as they need to trust you. And I've raced a lot and found a lot of guys you can't trust and a lot of guys you can. And the guys you can, you know, some some nights at a racetrack, you're a fifth-place car. and But you're racing with other guys side-by-side, side, back and forth. That's one of the best races you can have. Not always winning is the best night you have. Sometimes you get off the track and you had a good race with a buddy or or that and then you get out there and that was oh that was phenomenal right and you put on a show and at the end of the day that's what we are we're putting on a show for fans mm -hmm. yeah that's that's one of the big things i always kind of thought about you know the whole debate of you know nascar screwing up the show and making it too gimmicky or you know formula one being too boring or whatever it's always that balance of are you putting on a race or are you putting on a show right if it was a race there could be nobody in the stands like everything's still the same if it was purely just a contest to see who was the fastest, well, people aren't going to pay to watch that if it's a stinger, right? Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. If 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 we want to do the uh, who's got the biggest toy or the biggest engine, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, we are putting a show on for people. Exactly. Right. And you you hit it. You know, you go to NASCAR now. Well, that's it, the rules are are cut and dry. You, you basically the teams they pick the driver and that's it. You know, you go to, um, I, again, I'll, I'll go back to Bristol where you've got some some of the NASCAR guys running at Bristol. You can walk right up to their pits and hang out with them and talk with them. You can't do that at NASCAR. They're all fenced off. They're beyond, you know, it, 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 I used to be a big NASCAR fan and I'm not now. You can't, you need to be approachable in yeah. racing whatever level you're at you there's fans that for some reason like you or dislike you but the fans that like you and want to come down and get your autograph or get a picture 
they should be able to walk up to your pits and talk to you. Mm-hmm. You should be approachable. NASCAR has gone beyond that, right? Yeah. They're all in their little fenced area. They can't, you can't go back. You don't have the right pass. And that's, and that's the nice thing about dirt track racing. And I think that's why it's taking off so much more. There's still ingenuity. A lot, a lot of stuff we're doing today and that are innovated in cars begin in NASCAR because guys could think and come up with ideas and that. And you still got that in dirt track racing. They've taken that out of every other form of racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very true. It's always that the, they say the thicker the rule book, the more areas you're giving me to work outside of, right? Well, exactly. Like we grabbed the rule book and I showed someone, I said, see this line. And I went the line before be under it. And I said, see that line. He goes, yeah. I said, see the line in between that. What line? I said, that's the line I read. <laughs> right. And, and everybody's going to interpret the, the rule book differently yeah. as we all do. And there is an edge, which we all try and push as far as we can, but sure. That's what makes racing racing. If if we all did the same car, same rules, same everything, and and you're only going to have so many different results. They've tried that, right? Yeah, and it didn't work. I rock. Yeah, right. People didn't care. It went away. It, uh, you've got to have some difference to it and keep it exciting, right? So. I, I believe so. And I to keep fans interested in it, there has to be something in it for them, and and where they see the difference and. And like I say, being approachable at the end of the night, you know, at the different tracks, it, the announcers go down to the pits, go see your favorite racer. And I think that helps. It's hard drawing new people into racing, never mind new drivers. Mm-hmm. Well, when you when you bring a kid down to the pits and you put them in your car and they're taking pictures, that kid remembers that, right? So if, if that's what it takes to bring new people in, like, you know, uh, a lot of us is drug family, and like I did with my son. Well, if we wouldn't have drove him into racing, would he be racing today? Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, luckily Shane's doing it. That's luckily and unluckily. There's some <laughs> days I I wish I would have pulled the pin and never brought him into it. But right. it's still it's it's one of the best sports that I've been involved with, and and I've got a lot of shit over the years from different people that it, I I yap too much or say. I I'm always think of the betterment of racing. I hate to see a sport that I've loved and involved with my whole life go away. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you are seeing it dwindle here and there in car counts and that. And, you know, when you got new tracks opening like Kenora, Thunder Bay now, mm-hmm. that's awesome to see. And because, I mean, it's phenomenal the response they've gotten on Thunder Bay. Exactly. And that, when you get... A bunch of response out of Thunder Bay, that's going to trickle down to guys that get really excited about it. Now they're going to start traveling. So Anthony at Kenora puts on a two-day show. Well, those guys are going to come down to that track, right? Um, Winnipeg, maybe they put a two-day show on and that trickles down there. But we we need guys, more interest um, and more... Uh, younger guys coming into the sport, which is tough. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not the cheapest sport. It's not the most expensive, but I think once guys get behind the wheel, you're, you're hooked. Like how you, I don't think there's anybody I know that's got behind the wheel that hasn't, uh, this yeah. is what I yeah. 
It's okay. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> like, but knitting was fun. This is equal to knitting or crocheting. Yeah. But you know, it's 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 one of those sports that when you're in a in a battle with another car or in a pack of cars, it's there's nothing else like it. Your your mind's going a mile a minute. You you're making decisions based on instinct. It's, it's, you know, and it, when I jumped in the late model for the first time, you know, I remember, oh, how is it? How is it? And I said, it's like driving any other car, except everything happens twice as fast. When you see a bobble, you know, up the track, you need to get off the gas or you're in a, you're in a major crash. And, and that's what it's like. It's, you know, if, if you follow as a driver, you follow, you don't follow the car ahead of you. You're at the end of the track watching because that's where the problem's going to be you've you've got a in your mind you've already passed the car in front of you mm. so it's always thinking of ahead and what's going on yeah yeah no for sure well we'll uh we'll, we'll pause there and we'll go into our first segment here with anthony where uh, he's gonna he's gonna grill you uh oh yeah anthony are you there Yes, here I am. Sorry, microphone hey. didn't unmute, I guess, when I pushed the oh, button. Oh, yeah, you went to for a washroom break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I heard, yeah, I heard <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, do you know the rules to the misfire round? I, I'm sorry that I'm new at this. I'm old. I don't, I don't oh. know much. Okay, well, the rules are you pick one or the other. You don't think about it. You can't say neither, and you can't say both. That's all. These are Rick Delane rules. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. We can drill you about it afterwards. That's it's right. Over, you just gotta okay. Live okay. By your wits. Ten like questions. That's right. Ten questions. Number one, would you stand at 12 or hit at 12? Stand. Number two, cell phone or rotary phone? Rotary. Number three, dry or tacky? Tacky. Number four, salad or wings? Wings. Number five, Spider-Man or Doctor Strange? Spider-Man. Number six, Chips Ahoy or Oreos? Chips Ahoy. Number seven, Sneeze or Cough? Sneeze. Number eight, Mountains or Cliffs? Mountains. Number seven, Unspeakable or Mr. Beast? Unspeakable. And number 10, 80s NASCAR or 90s NASCAR? 80s. All right, there you have it. Misfire round. That was easy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what that leads up to those questions I'm worried about. <laughs> oh, oh, well, th nothing, nothing at all. But Unspeakable and Mr. Beast are two of the biggest YouTubers on the YouTube. So um, I just, and it see, doesn't I, really matter. Yeah, I don't know either one of them. So that's You're a good sport. And I knew you so wouldn't, but that's was... part of the point of this. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, uh, what was the second question there? Cell phone or rotary phone? Oh, yeah, rotary. That was the one I wanted to ask about. Do you still have a rotary phone? No. No? Oh, man. we. Uh, I remember learning how to dial one, and, and then that was like a special skill, right? People would look at it and know what the hell to do. Boy, yeah, it's, again, it's what you grew up with, right? Right. Um, can I do what I do today without my cell phone? No, but I, I also think, you know, I'm going to be old school is, I used to know how many phone numbers. Yeah. Now I don't even know my wife's phone number. 
<laughs> so I can tell you what my wife's phone number was when we were dating. Right. I cannot tell you what her phone number is today. And I, you know, uh, people say it, and and I agree with it. It's the technology today is is made us smarter, but it's made us dumber. Absolutely. Right. So the yeah. dumbing down of America just hand people a cell phone, and you know, we used to go out and you go out for lunch with guys, and you'd sit around and talk and 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 bullshit. And now every one at the table is always on their cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be aggressive with that. You got to. Well, it's, it's, it's business, right? Oh yeah, that too. Right? And we're not, all, we're right. all business guys. And, and, yeah. and today, you know, there's it's, no, there's no off time. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, having my business in my yard, I'll be sitting, you know, relaxing at 10 o'clock and I'll watch people drive in my driveway. And two seconds after they get to the shop, my phone rings, where are you? Why aren't you here? Yeah. I'm like, it's 10 o'clock, <laughs> you know, but that's that's today's thing it's there is 24 yeah. 7 and the, the there's days i wish that saturdays and sundays were back to saturdays and sundays right right where you and and, and nothing against uh, racing but i'm talking work work once where right. you can have a day off and do what you want to do and not have to worry about okay well i got to get this done today this this and this or i'm i'm going racing and you know but th that's part of it too when we go racing we're at the racetrack. This right. is, you know, that's kind of my thing away from everything. Right. You go to the racetrack, you don't worry about work. You don't worry about what else is going on. You don't worry about so-and-so's car getting fixed or. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of my, my vacation is at the racetrack where yeah. I don't have to think about everything. Oh, it makes sense. Well, we'll uh, we went off on a, a big tangent there and it was great, but uh, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. So, you got started at about 18, you built your first car, took a car and, you know, modded it all up. So like, what did that, you know, we were talking a bit before uh, we turned the mics on here about like setups and stuff. Like, you know, you, there wasn't a, a big fat Speedway Motors catalog back then that you could order whatever you wanted out of, right? Well, when we first started, there was no parts guy right. in Winnipeg. We were buying tires from, I think the local tire shop, trying to figure out the best tire to run. You run street tires basically? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then again, we were running Camaros. So this hot setup is you'd go to the, you'd take the factory Camaro spring on the one side and then go to the, the, the auto parts store and buy a, a set of Camaro big block springs for the, the right side. And then you'd put some spacers in the leaf springs or some shackle it up. And that was your setup, right? Mm -hmm. um, you said something about the when I won the NOPA championships. I built that Camaro. I dragged it around with me for years, and finally, I was supposed to build a car for someone else. And I had parts enough parts to build a car, so I built that car. And that thing was the nicest car I'd ever built. It worked like it should have never worked the way it did, but it did. And we ran Monroe Census tracks we ran the original leaf springs that were in the car from day one and the only thing um for for leafs or coil springs was i ran a stock one and a big block spring in it mm. and we went to grand forks with one of the races we didn't change gears but we finished in the top three and you could have threw a blankets around a guy come out of the stands and he's what kind of springs are in that car and i 
what do you mean? Well, what kind of leaf springs are in the car? I said, they're the factory ones. And he's, bullshit. <laughs> I said, the car's there. And he, he crawled underneath and he comes back out. Well, what kind of racing shocks? I go, racing shocks? Those are Monroe Sensitrap. Bullshit. <laughs> car's there. And, you know, it just, that car worked for some reason. And, and we sold that car to Rick Lowy afterwards. And I think he won two championships in a row with that car. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say it was because of the skills of driving I had, but I can't. It was the, the, the car was the one of those cars that you never should have sold because it was the best thing they ever had. Yeah, that, that was a, you were tough to race against back then. Not, you know, not dirty driving or anything, but just stupid fast all the time. Yeah, that car was, was anyhow, and we, we, we had some good tires. We, we got lucky. We can, we can talk about this now. <laughs> we ran American racers because, the the nopas didn't have a real tire route so we could run who's your american racers i believe i had a benefit because knowing john all the american racers came in there was a manufacturer's defect in these tires that no one knew about but we picked up on it they would measure my tires every night and, and it said eight inch on them but there was an extra tread in them they actually measured out at nine inches but had the eight inch Right, the stamp on it. On it, yeah. And we found it by accident. So when the tires came in, we grabbed all the oversized tires. And, and was it cheating? Yeah, it was pushing the envelope, but they sent us the tires. And it was funny because someone came to buy a used tire from me, and I had the stack there, and oh, I gave them one. Well, why is that one wider? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, <I don't> <laughs> yeah, well, well, take that one then. It's, but, yeah, and it. Again, was that why we won all the races? It didn't hurt it, but that car was a dream to drive it. Yeah. I was in Halak, Minnesota. We we're running a two-day show. We're in the race, literally down the back straight. I'm looking at the people standing on their motorhomes, trailers, and that, trying to see if I recognize anybody. I drove off the end of the track. <laughs> I just I came back in the in the pits and my guy says, What was that about? And I said, you know, we're not going to believe what I was. He says, you were what? Yeah, I was watching the people. And it just one of those things you got. I got so comfortable in that car. It was it would drive itself. And yeah. so, yeah, I started doing other things, which. Yeah. Kind of made, you know, it's it's stories like that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you know better than that. But I'm like, who's that? Oh, so-and-so. Oh, shit. That, oh, I have to turn here, apparently. That's funny. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that car, that thing was fantastic. And you built some very nice cars here. You built one for Dad, and that thing was also a really, really quick uh, machine. And, you know, what is it about the building chassis that you like? Uh, yeah, it's, again, I just coming up with the design, all my cars were very similar. I didn't have a jig. We, we built everything in-house to fit the car and just trying different things, though. You know, every car we built, we we learned something new and tried something different and moved the cage or did this or that. And everything was always to make them better, right? The last car we built was for Shane in a street stock. That car was had a lot of adjustability in it by the rules, what you could do. And we could, we could change shocks and rear springs in 10 minutes in the car. We could change the whole back end of that car all by the rules. It was just the way we built it made it easy to do that. Like we get to the track 
Shane, you know, he was good at looking at the track and, and figuring out what it was going to do. Before we unloaded that car, we were changing shocks, knowing, okay, it's going to go dry. We'd put our dry setup in. We'd have half the car set up before we rolled it out of the trailer. Mm -hmm. And that was just ease, you know, over the years, you figure out better way of doing things and how do you make it easier on yourself for ripping a shock in or out or changing a spring and yeah, just trial, trial and error. We built, you know, I think touch wood, every car we built, I believe won a race. Mm -hmm. um, which again, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a, the greatest car builder because I'm not, but we did well at it, yeah. you know, it was, and it just, it's, it's a lot of work building a car. Mm -hmm. So you're, you did run modifieds earlier on and then went back into street stocks, correct? Yeah, I ran in 87, 88, I ran an A mod, which it, back then, if you were to look at the, the rules or compare them, it was basically a B mod in today's standards. Right. Um, we did that. We had, we didn't win. I think I finished two points out of winning a championship in that. And, um, and then I quit. You know, get married, buy a house, do all that stuff, and racing didn't take seem that important. Uh, obviously, a a roof over the head, and then we came back to racing. And so, what year did you come back? You know that I can't tell you because we we came back and and we we built we had a two car team. We built a street stock and a super stock. That one of my guys was supposed to run the street stock. Part of the deal was and we know how hard it is to get crew. So I made a deal with it with a guy. I said, I'll we'll build these two cars. You can drive the street stock, you know, just come around and help. And that fell through. So then I'm sitting there with two cars. So I I don't know what year that was. Um I would think it was in the nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. Um so we did that. And again, racing one car was a lot racing two cars is as fun as it it, it it may sound yeah it's great jumping in two cars but when you're doing most of the work on it and setting up it's tough and the biggest thing i learned from doing that is you you jump out of one car and it was straight and you did good you jump on the other car and you were all over the track for the first little bit and we couldn't figure it out and one day we're sitting there and we the steering wheels were side by side two different size steering wheels and yeah so you're driving the same but your the wheel difference made that much of a difference that so once we straightened that out it was yeah you you drive the same you know figure that out and we were straighter anyways i'm sure a few guys were happy with that you weren't bouncing off them but <laughs> it was like you said the uh, the entire pass well and, and <laughs> that's just it yeah we've we've had a few discrepancies with people over stuff like that and you know you're always you have a bad night or someone takes you out you're not going to be happy and we've all had those nights where someone gets in your face and you want to pound them as a, a another racer said they should have a, a boxing ring in the infield <laughs> you want to go in there yeah. and and that may draw more fans you know Always said if a car rolled the next week, there was another two hundred fans in the stands because they heard about the rollover, right? right. Yeah, well, there's something to it for sure. 
especially for the casual fan, right? The 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 fan that really understands it, they know that that's they don't like seeing crashes. They know how much how expensive it is and how tough that is. But yeah, the casual person, there's there's a reason why they, they tune in. That yeah, there's you're always going to get those people. They want to see the crash. They yeah. want to see the pileup. They want to see this or that. Um, yes, I sell parts, and and if there's a big pileup, yeah, guys are buying parts, but. I know as a, as a, a, a racer, driver, car owner, whatever, that's the last thing I want to see. I know oh, yeah. how much time and effort it takes oh, for yeah. people to fix their car. We're not doing this as a living. We're doing this as a hobby. We all have real jobs. And, and it cuts in. When, you, when a guy gets knocked out and you know he doesn't have the money to fix his car, that hurts the class because he's out for a couple weeks. That, that brings the car counts down. And as a, as a, a racer, driver, and a lover of the sport, you don't want to see that. You want to see, you know, back in the day, we'd, we'd have 30 cars. You want to see that because that brings out the, the cream of the crop of the guy that can set up a car, the guy that can drive through traffic. You know, I, I wish they'd almost go back to that when we first started. Fast cars started at the back. Right. That's how I learned how to drive. That's, that's how you really learn how to drive is when you can come through traffic. Not wreck your car, not wreck anybody else. Mm-hmm. You start learning when, you know, and and then it was in the super stock days, it was like as soon as that green flag dropped, now it was, okay, I got to lead the first lap. And everybody's, there was no patience. It was all balls to the walls. I got to lead the lap. And so that changed racing a lot then when, you know, you could sit back and kind of work your way through. Now, the fast guys, everybody, I would need to get to the front now. So that changed it a bit, but you still get, you know, you have a bad night and qualify bad and you start at the back. You'll see the good guys come through the the pack without hitting anybody. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, Anthony, uh, I figure it's time for uh, in the driver's seat. No, it's not time at all. Sean could take care of this whole interview on his own. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, we only provide minimal guidance. The rest is up to you. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah right. I've, I've veered off a few times there. Sorry. In the ditch. Out of the ditch. Again, like when yeah. I drove that one car, not paying attention, and away I go. <laughs> I wonder what those people are doing over there. Yeah. But it, Sorry, we can... We can forgive you for that. Oh, it happens, right? All right. Yeah. So this uh, in the driver's seat here is uh, a little bit longer. You can provide a couple stories, one story, uh, two truths and a lie, whatever you'd like to do to answer these questions. They're not rushed. There's not either or. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one, which driver did you have the most fun racing against? Um, in the super stock days, um, Rick Fawcett. Uh, met him at the track first time he came to the track we pitted beside him and just started talking with him and asked him you know the car he built and I don't know how we got into it and I'm like oh about his helmet and tear-offs and he looks at me he goes what are tear-offs I go <laughs> what do you mean he goes well here's my helmet I go you can't run that like we're running mud buddy. Like that's going to plug. Oh, so I ended up phoning home, have my wife, Heather, bring another visor. We taped it onto his helmet and set him up with tear offs. And 
I don't know how long we've been friends for 20, maybe even 30 years because of it. And raced, he's a guy that you can race clean with side by side. He'll never take you out, but he'll always race you hard. And it was funny when I was telling uh, somebody I was going to would do this podcast, they said, well, tell them about the time you flipped Rick Fawcett. And I'm like, well, I, that's not what happened. But there was a race, somebody turned Rick Fawcett on the front straight and he come right across the nose of my car. I'm on the binders, but it, it flipped him right in front of me. Well, I was out of my car and under his car before there was any track officials. They were like, this is your buddy. It's like, hey, man, I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah. You flipped me on purpose. <laughs> That's a big joke now is every time we talk, oh, you flipped me on purpose. I said, well, hey, you had to be flipped sooner or later. I remember uh, hearing you telling a story about uh, you and Rick. You wound up somewhere and had a big bottle of rum and took the cap off and threw it away. Yeah, that was uh, – we went down to Grand Forks for their swap meet. His crew chief, my crew chief, got to the border, bought, I don't know, probably way too much whiskey or whatever it was, and uh, we prepared to make sure we killed those bottles. So – Somehow we're wrestling in the room and we broke one of the lampshades. So there's a ring, perfect ring at the bottom of the lampshade. So we're leaving the hotel. Well, we can't kind of straighten up the lamp. Can't leave that. And they shoved it in my bag. We're coming across the border. And of course they check us. The girl at the, the border crossing lady pulls this ring out. And she's like, what's this? And I just looked over. It's a gauge. It's Rick's. And that was the, you know, one of those things that right, you don't think of it until it happens, right? But so I think he's still got that hanging up somewhere in his in his shop. But yeah, uh, too much alcohol will bring out the best in people. That's right. Makes it very smart. Yeah. The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Well, yeah, it, it makes us it, with bench racing. It makes us twice as fast as we were and twice mm -hmm. as good, doesn't it? That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right, number two, what went through your mind the first time you jumped into a car and started your first race? I, that's a tough one because that's quite a while ago. It just, the exhilaration of it, not, again, you're you kind of watching it over the years, you, you know what's going to happen or go on, but you really don't because you're, everybody drives better from the stands. Everybody knows what you should have done to win that race. When you're behind the wheel, you're, you're you're so focused on what's going on, and you're 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 learning, and you're just you're overwhelmed the first time. Um, it's like I said, that's racing is the only sport or only thing I've been involved with where I wouldn't know my name during a particular point of the race when you're so focused on what you're doing. And, and racing is where you have to give it a hundred and ten percent of your focus to do well. Yeah, all valid points. All right, number three. If you went three wide with a lap to go, which spot would you prefer to be in, inside, middle, or outside, and why? I like the outside. I've always been a high side guy against the wall. I, I believe the momentum. You're not scrubbing off as much speed. Um, you know, on a bank track, you're, you're, you've got momentum on your side coming out, and there's 
there's always tack against the wall. A lot of people are afraid of the wall, but if you if you watch and there's tack there, you're always gonna you're always gonna get momentum. And and the biggest thing, and everybody learns the hard way, is if you hit the wall, your first reaction is to get out of the gas. That's the worst thing you can do because it drags you into the wall. You just hold it to the floor, bounce off, and keep going. <laughs> and uh, I've won, you know, I've won a few races running the high side because of momentum. Right. And I didn't. I've never wanted to be anybody's meat in the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's not your bag. Yeah, and I'm not into that. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, number four. What did you do in the car just before you drove out of the pit stall? Sorry. What did you do in the car just before you drove out of the pit stall? Um, I didn't really have a ritual. The, the only thing I could never do is I could never put my visor down until I was getting air through my helmet. I always, like, if I didn't feel kind of sick to my stomach getting in the race car, I always thought that was the time to get out of the car. If I wasn't afraid of it, you shouldn't be doing it. And and as soon as the race was over, I couldn't undo my helmet strap fast enough because it always always felt like it was choking me. It was <laughs> it was one of these weird things. And and you know, getting back to racing against Rick, Rick would throw up before he got in the race car at every race. Like he'd always kind of get sick. And but yeah, it's, I look at today like with Shane. He's got the the air running in his helmet, and I'm thinking, God, it, would that ever been nice to have? Yeah. You get out and you're just dripping. There's sweat in your eyes, and you, you know you're a million degrees, and like just having that air to cool your brain. Yeah. What a what a difference that would make on maybe some of the decisions you made. Puts out all the helmet fires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's just it, right? But yeah, it's like I said, I was always, you know, not kind of scared, and you'd be just be you know, not enough air coming into it. And it wasn't until I got on the track and I'd close, I'd always close my helmet down the back straight just before we took the green. I'd always have to have the air coming through just to kind of keep my wits about me. Huh, that is interesting. All right. Uh, number five, what race would you consider the one that got away? Well, there are the, all the ones you didn't win got away from you. Um, that go back to my my modified days where we we could have won the championship and we didn't. But that wasn't. It came down to a buddy of mine, Doug Kendall, that we raced against. Doug raced by himself, did all the work by himself, and he had crashed the week before the end of the year, and. We were good friends and talking with him. He says, I'm not going to make the last race. And we were fighting for the championship. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, I, I got too much work. So I went over there with the crew and we helped him get the car ready and, and we raced. And to me, I would always rather race on the track with and help someone out than to, to pull any BS and in the thing Well, I've got the part and you need it and I'm not giving it to you. I'd, to me, as a racer, to win the race, you got to be willing to give any. I've got to watch what I say. 
not anyone on the track. Most of the guys on the track, a part you have in your trailer to get them in that race and race against. All right. Number six, if you could sit down with one or up to three people from any time in motorsports, who would it be and why? Daryl Waltrip, probably Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Sr. Waltrip's always been, um, he's always been my favorite driver, the fact that he ran number 11. But just, you know, some of the stuff he did, he, he, when he won or talking with him, he, he always seemed like a, a real person down to earth and that. And then articles, you know, not that I read a lot, but some of the stuff that they did, they used to put buckshot in their frame rails so that they'd meet weight going, and that was back when they weighed them going onto the track but not coming off the track. Which makes zero sense. Yes. So <laughs> they'd put buckshot in their frame, and they used to have a pin. So when they were on a, a yellow, they'd pull to the bottom of the track, pull the pin, and take the buckshot so that, you know, and the other thing, they take valve springs and put them on the back of their trunk lids on the hood pins. So when they went through tech, it would meet ride heights but at speeds the valve springs would collapse and give them more arrows so they were just some of the ingenuity they they thought of back then was cool Earnhardt was just I, again that you know you you watch the story on him he'd race on Sunday and go home and feed his cows Monday and and, and work the farm and he was kind of an ordinary guy mm -hmm. um Jeff Gordon, I don't know why, just because he's in that generation of racer. And, you know, he did well for himself. He started, I think Jeff started in the dirt and in many, like in sprint cars, in sprint cars and, and worked his way up. And, you know, any guys that, that can do that, you know, they're interesting to talk and how they, what they went through to get to where they are. For sure. My favorite uh, wall trip story about, the, the well it's not really gray area he was full of cheating was uh they were pushing the car through tech and they the tech guy went to go grab his helmet to go inspect it and it turns out they had made a helmet made completely cast out of lead and painted it identical to his race helmet and they would put that on the decking of the car when they were rolling it over the scale oh no so, the guy goes to grab the helmet and it weighs like 50 pounds and then they're looking around more, and he's got the radio holder in the cockpit. And they go to grab the radio. The radio is a twenty-five pound chunk of lead. <laughs> no, and and but that's just it. Like back then, they they thought of different things to do, and you know, it's it's like when they were putting lead on, um, or not lead. They were putting the big rotors on the back end of the race cars, and they were coming apart because it was just too much weight at that RPM, right? Mm -hmm. You know, guys are always going to think of, of different ways and how can we do this and what will make the car turn better. And yeah, like I used to fill my one frame rail on the street stocks because they had to weigh so much with lead. I'd just melt a, melt down um, wheel weights and we'd fill it up and I'd uh, bolt it in. You could slide it in or out, but and on a street stock, you ended up bolt, bolting on 300 pounds of lead. Well, you might as well bolt it on where you want it, right? right? And by putting it in a piece of frame rail, it 
added ballast where no one really thought there was anything there. You weren't, yeah. oh, he's bolting weight on there. We Maybe we should do that, right? It just looked like a bar. No one knew what it was. Right. Yeah, they must have looked at your car and thought, how is he still making weight? Like, yeah. this doesn't... And, and, How and thick it, a pipe did you use? You know? Yeah, well, we, we'd use the same yeah. one, 166 roll bar pipe and, yeah. yeah, fill it. And it was, you know, three feet long and just slide it along the driver's frame rail or whatever and no one ever thought twice about it. The funny thing is, you know, you get back to that Camaro that I built, it got so bad, you know, that we were winning, they actually measured the car to a car in the parking lot because they figured we had cut the body, we had sloped it, done something. And when we built that car, we actually took the whole body quarters off as one and put it back on the car as one. And the finally, the one thing they, they caught me on was I had a two by four taped to my gas pedal because I had the seat so far back, I couldn't reach the one pedal. <laughs> So they kind of complained about that. On the gas pedal? Well, no, yeah, actually it was on the brake pedal. Okay. But yeah, and I'm like, well, I can take it off, but then I not don't have yeah. any brakes. So they said, that ain't going to bother me any, but... We bother the guy who's smashing yeah. it too and rolling down the front straight yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, and the last one, if dirt track racing didn't exist, what racing type would you prefer? I don't know. Like... I hate water, um, so boat racing is out. I'm not a – I've been to drag racing, a buddy of mine drag racing. I've been to that once or twice, and I'm going to offend a lot of people here, including my buddy, but I find that so boring. Um, and I, 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 I can't understand why you would spend and, – and if people think dirt track racing – can be expensive. Drag racing is three times the cost. They go, if they don't make the qualify, they go home. So they never really, they get a qualifying race, at least in dirt track racing in your heat. If you don't make the race, you're usually running a B main, right. you know, so you get to run your car, not once. once or twice you get to race your car. So it wouldn't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I, that plane racing is exhilarating, but, Again, you want to talk expense, you, you need a, to be a millionaire and turn it into a, like a few hundred dollars when you're done, I think. Has road racing ever interested you at all? Not not really. Like, it's always been, and, and probably just because I grew around up on it, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that, yeah, there isn't, a, like, I don't don't watch a lot of racing on, on TV. We watch, you know, if the, if there's dirt racing, we'll watch that, but yeah, I'll, I'll blow normally blow by racing. If it's not dirt. Right. How, how difficult was it to watch stuff like NASCAR or IndyCar or whatever back in the, in the eighties? Like, was it regularly broadcast or was it pretty tough to know what was going on in the sport? Yeah. I, like we'd, well, I, I used Canada, right? Yeah. Racing, it, like with NASCAR, it was on whatever Sunday nights. We used to watch all the time. I'd, I'd never miss NASCAR. And that was back when, like, Waltrip and, and Earnhardt and Elliott and all, all the names that, you know, I'm familiar with in, in my day. So, yeah, we that was one of the things you'd watch. If you weren't at a racetrack yourself, you were watching NASCAR because 
there wasn't back then there wasn't dirt track on tv right you know now at least with all these different uh streaming things you can you can watch dirt tracks track or racing all the time but you know the the you get into that stadium truck racing is pretty cool right you know you look at the suspension and the stuff they're doing but again that's just come into what the last how many years yeah so yeah if i wasn't involved with dirt track racing maybe i'd i don't know racing popsicle sticks down a drain on the street <laughs> drinking enough to where that was exciting <laughs> yeah yeah i guess yeah it's that, that's pretty bad that you know when you're you're involved with the sport and that's that's the only thing that you know kind of interests you yeah, well i mean bad i don't know if i'd call it that it's yeah oh and it's a sport that that's given you know i mean it's given you a lot you know you look at you haven't won hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it but i've know, spent you, it you, yeah <laughs> I, I i don't know that for sure but i bet you my wife would say that i'd rather not do the math right <laughs> yeah. well and that's just it uh, we've never kept bills or never kept track and it and it, it it never seemed important i i don't think if you're involved in a hobby no matter what it is it costs you money you go go you know golfers that you tell me they they get to the thing they've spent their money on their golf clubs on their their little peak hats and and their shirts and whatever right and their special balls um but they're they're drinking they're eating they're they're playing a round or two or some play five rounds a week at at a hundred or whatever oh, yeah. it, it, no sport is cheap to do anymore um but what's you know what's exhilarating to them may not be exhilarating to me and then and and again I've, I've i've put uh guys in a race car buddies um recent you know recently in a practice and i threw them in a race car this guy raced um bikes flat track bikes and and road race at a hundred and something mile an hour we put him in a car and i taped it and he come out he goes oh i i was giving her i was fast and we're laughing he goes what and i showed him the video i said if someone was on the track with you and actually blew by you at speed, you'd uh, uh, Talladega Nights when yeah, yeah. when they blew. That's what it was like. It was <laughs> what was that? Yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. That car? Yeah. You know, it's it, and and again, it, it's it's a different perspective for someone that's never done it. And you mm. get behind the wheel, and you, all of a sudden, holy smoke! You know, you're used to sitting in the stand. Oh, I can do this. I. I had guys when we were putting Shaner in the car. Well, why don't you? I'll drive your car. Like I can drive better than your. What makes you so sure you can drive better than my kid? You know, just yeah. you're you're you've sat in the stands, and, and I'm not saying I learned a lot by sitting in the stands, but I, you think yeah. I'm going to put you in my car over my kid? <laughs> yeah. And luckily, you know, Shane's he's done well. Like he's he's performed well, and you know, Are you. you know, are you enjoying that a lot getting to see him i do and but i remind him all the time that don't ever think you know that we we don't have a driver i said you can leave anytime because <laughs> i bring my gear to the track just in case and it's it's one of those things i i enjoy watching him do what he does and 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 where he's come from i remember one time it was early in his career that dale McEwen 
at the end of the race sent um, people from the track over to our thing to make sure that was Shane in the car because he was 100% sure it was me. <laughs> you know, but, you know, that's that's good for him, yeah. right? And, but, and, and again, he, you know, everybody does something different. And luckily with Shane, you know, with, he has a disability and with, with putting him in a race car, his disability didn't come into play. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even know. Right. Right. So for him to jump in the race car and, 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 and be where he's at, and I threatened to sell the, the late model this year, which we have for sale, but to buy another one, not to get out. Right. And I threatened to sell, well, no, no, I, I'm not ready yet. I'll do all the work and you just pay the bills. I'm like, that sounds like a great deal. <laughs> Where do I sign a bad deal? Yeah. Yeah. It's, but again, it's, it's, it's the sport that I love, you know, um, there's some days I wish I would have never brought Shane into it, but there's days when, when I see what he can do and how he does in a race car, I'm, I'm glad we did. And it's, it's one of the sports, it's a family sport. Yeah, oh, exactly. The The whole family aspect of it, you know, getting everybody together out there. Uh, you're, you're basically going camping every weekend. Yes. All together and enjoying that time and, and getting to throw a race car in the mix. It's a cool deal. Yeah. You know, and, and my my wife's a nurse. And so it, on, on Thursday nights, she's not a nurse. She does the tires and she does the helmet. And it, it's something totally different for her. But she looks forward to that because it's, you know, it's not as stressful as their normal job. Now, if she screws up, it's stressful because one of us is yelling, right? right? But, yeah, it's just, it's just nice to do something, you know, with your with your family or friends. You're not, you know, you're not out snowmobiling by yourself or you're not doing this, you know. It's it's a family thing. And, and with racing now, it's, you know, we talk, the decisions, we talk about it. Everybody makes a decision. And when we were running the street stock and, and he was doing well, you know, my wife was like, this is boring. And I go, well, what would you mean? Well, there's no decision. The decisions are made and you guys have figured it out before we got to the track with the late model. You know, we, you know, we're learning late models changing so fast. We learn every time we, we, we go to the track and we're literally, it's, you know, you're, you're always changing something. You're always looking, you're always thinking. We don't make a change without talking. There's three of us that make the decisions and, you know, you, you're talking, okay, if we did one guy, we should do this. Okay, let's do it. But what's it going to hurt us? What, where is it going to help us and where is it going to hurt us? Because every change will do that. Mm. So rather than one person being the guy, we're going to do this no matter what. And I've raced that way and it doesn't work. We talk about it, and and that's the way it's got to be because the technology of racing from when I started to where it is today has changed so much. You know, you're you're a race car is a race car. The the chassis is a chassis. Your tunability is in your shocks and your suspension now. And you know, I tell that to all the guys. They said you need to take your 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 shocks off your car, take your springs out of your car. Move your suspension up and down. Can you literally lift it with one finger and drop it? Will it drop or does it stop halfway? Any binding in a race car, take your shocks and springs and throw them away because your 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 setup isn't going to work. You need everything's got to be smooth. That is the, the most important thing is that stuff's got to be clean and working every race. 
And you can see the guys at the beginning of the year that put all new parts in their car and it's working good. Halfway through the, the year, all of a sudden you go by their car and you lean on it and it doesn't move. Well, yeah. that guy's going to be a pylon because he's he's got no traction. Yeah, all the stuff that you learn over time, right? Well, and that's just it. And, you, you know, uh, there's there's guys you'd love to sit down with. And, you know, we were at a race watching Ricky, and I was just sitting back and, and just watching some of the stuff they did. And and, and you're, you're wondering, like, they're at a level where changing a spacer in your A-arm to move it a quarter inch forward or back, mm -hmm. where I'd look at, You'd never even think of doing that or, or changing the angle of your carb spacer based on the angle of the track. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's neat to see at different levels. You know, we've, we've started the, the grassroots backyard racing to, to being able to, you know, fortunate enough to, to know Ricky and, and go out and hang with a guy like that. Ricky and another friend of ours is Mike Marlar where you can be in their pits and, and, and be part of what's going on and listen and, and learn. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Like it's, this is a sport that when you stop learning, you've, you're at the end of your career because it's evolving. You know, I used to say it used to be yearly. I think it's evolving monthly now where guys are coming up with a, a whether it be a new, this or new spring and, you know, a multi, uh, I can't even think of the name, where your spring has four rates in it now. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, well, and you see, you see it. There's guys who, they are really big for a few years, and then they kind of disappear, and it goes away. And you get the guys that have been around forever, and they're still just always running front-of-the-line equipment and figuring that stuff out and always learning and always growing, you know? No, and... and, and you know, anybody like seat time, seat time, seat time, seat time is so valuable. You learn so much, but, and then set up schools, right? We, we race once, twice a week. And then you're racing against guys that race four or five times a week. Well, what they learn in a week, it takes you a month to learn. Right. So, you know, the big thing now is when you're buying a car from someone, someone it's get their phone number. Mm -hmm. and I got, why, why do you need a phone number? Because that's the guy that ran the car, and he's the one that's going to help you set it up. Right. Right? We, we sold one street stock to a guy, and he phones me up. He goes, the car's not working. And I'm like, well, what do you, what's the book say? Well, we don't go by the book. And I said, then don't phone me. I gave you a book for a reason. That's got all the setups in it. You know, the car won with us. Why doesn't it win with you? Because you're not using the book. Right. Like, don't waste my time. And we, with Rick Lowy, when he bought the one street stock from us, that the the amazing car, I'll call it. Mm -hmm. We could tell when he when he didn't win a race, we'd go down. What'd you change? <laughs> you go. Well, we thought we'd try something, and and not to be arrogant, it, you know, Rick, <coughs> do you really think you know more than us? And he put his no. <laughs> And then the next week he'd go like, and, and again, there's a reason you get that book with the car. Yeah. It's got, you know, and we keep pretty good notes. Yeah. That, that car wouldn't lose a race if you followed the notes. Mm -hmm. And and I understand everybody, you got to try things. Well, and, for sure. That's how you learn. Right? Yeah. But 
it was funny because we'd rub it in when he when he tried something and it didn't work. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, this, no, this, is, is, uh, this is fun. This is, I'm not fun. getting yelled at by someone or I'm yeah. not underneath uh, an old wreck trying to fix it. So, And it, like I said, this, this sport, it's such an interesting sport. And with it going the direction it's going the, in dirt track and the technology, you know, hopefully we can bring more people into it. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, guys like Anthony, you know, starting a new track and, and getting that up and running. And, you know, well, hopefully um, we're going to be out there a couple of times and, and we want to bring the late model and just, you know, run a couple laps, just see what, I haven't been there. So I'm looking forward to it. We've had that, we've had that last year. We had, uh, it was, Jesse, uh, Jesse came out and did a few laps and uh, people yeah. really enjoyed that. So that'd be great to have uh, another late model come out. Yeah, and, and and again, you know, when you're you go to different tracks and and people haven't seen that type of car and they see it pull a pull a lap and they're holy smokes, like that's way different. And the the late models on a track when they're in full attitude mode look like nothing else. Shit, they're nasty. Yeah, and then you know you look at Bristol, uh, the trucks on dirt were doing. 70 80 mile an hour the late models were doing 140 150 mile going into the corner right so it, it, to see that at the fastest track that they'll ever run on was it's it's amazing yeah 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 and then that's what i was saying about the whole nascar on dirt thing was i mean it's cool that they're doing it it's good publicity for dirt racing but it's a terrible race like as far as dirt races go it's like bottom of the barrel go watch any other dirt race and you will see a better race. I, I agree, but I think these guys are the best of the best, yeah. and that's what they'll tell you. I think the best of the best should be able to jump in any car, yeah. but I think where NASCAR is missing it is knock the windows out of these trucks, right. give them a little bit of suspension, and let's see what they can really do, right? Because right? you've got some drivers that have run dirt, so they're going to be a little bit better and understand it more, but... Give them an actual piece, and let's yeah. bring them all in the in the same thing. And same with with their road cars. Build, give them a road course. Give them a dirt car, and then your regular car. Whether they all look the same, who cares? What the suspension in it? And I think you know, again, that would help NASCAR. Mm-hmm. You give them something, and 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 a variety. You know, not just the same tracks they run on. You you run on dirt, and you do this and. I, I think, you know, again, racing started in the dirt or in the sand or wherever you want. I think that's good. People like to see that. It's not the same thing. It's give them variety, give them an actual car for that situation. Mm. And I think the racing changes and gets better. For sure. Yeah, you give them a good package, they're great drivers, they'll put on a good show. Yes. If you, if you don't give them a great package, then they're going to do the best. And no way. I think it might be bad. Exactly. And I think that would help. Again, you know, it's a little different asphalt than than dirt, but I think if you give them the tools, they'll only get better. Exactly. Well, this has been great, buddy. Thank you so much for sitting down. This is great to hang out with you guys. And uh, I'm just to let you know, I'm a little bit disappointed about it. Usually when we bench race, there's a bottle of whiskey on the table and we didn't get that cracked today. So 
bottle of whiskey and uh, Kubasan the barbecue next time we do this. <laughs> All right, guys, it is time for everyone's new favorite segment, the mailbag. We got Mad Max back with us. How's it going, buddy? Living the dream. How's it going? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Love brother. to hear it. <laughs> hell yeah, brother. <laughs> uh, all right well what do you got for us today well i i'm sure we got some uh good ones you know last week was uh was a good start to it so why don't we uh kick things off here this is um uh when i saw this question pop up it was something that i've been wondering quite a while so it goes if you are new to a track where do you park in the pits so you don't take anyone's spot Ooh. That is a good question. Um, the The unfortunate answer is uh, don't try and snag a really good spot because <laughs> guaranteed the good spot belongs to somebody important. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's good to get there nice and early, especially when you're going to a new track and everything. But, uh, yeah, I would say don't go for the absolute prime spot because you're for sure going to get somebody mad at you. Um, there's also this weird, uh, tragedy that happens here with, uh, you know, the closer to the track where they actually have lighting is where all the guys with the big ass trailers park. And, uh, and then you go out in the back 40 where there's no lighting and that's where all the guys with the open trailers with no lighting park. And it's like, man, <laughs> these guys got it tough out here. <laughs> nothing, but, a, uh, nothing a generator yeah. and some lights can't fix exactly they take it in stride you know the back 40 crowd they're a good bunch so back 40 crowd <laughs> <laughs> that's that's new name every time i drive by them now how's it going back 40 yeah. back 40 well, when you go to the back 40 you don't actually drive by them you have to turn around because you're already at the back yeah that's, that's true right. yeah or in I Winnipeg, you to go back there to stage so. that's right yeah yeah but yeah. uh so you always get a, a view of what's going on back there you know it takes away a little bit of the mystique, but kind of yeah. lets you get a look at your other competition. That's right. See what they're up to back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember one time out in the back 40, <laughs> uh, a race team who shall not be named. Uh, they, uh, they decided it was, uh, they, they brought a bunch of people into the pits with them and they were having a party on their, uh, their race trailer. And they brought these girls who had been, Overserved, and I'm talking like I think I don't think the heat races were finished yet. Oh man! <laughs> these people were like falling down, drunk, falling off of their trailer, and uh, <laughs> the officials showed up and and said that they did need to leave Ooh. because it was a uh, yeah, it, it was it was ready to to turn into a bad situation there. So yeah, wild times on the back forty. <laughs> uh, so next question here. Um... Do you think NASCAR, as in the Cup Series, could ever do a touring event in Canada, like at the F1 track in Montreal? You mean like the Cup Series? Yeah, like, you know, the the Sunday primetime that everybody I, watches. I think they've tried do, working on doing something like that for a while. They've had... They've had trucks in Canada before and Xfinity before, haven't they, Eric? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was uh, 
they they raced at uh at circuit gilles villeneuve in yeah. montreal look at you go uh, be- love that track by the way that's one of my favorite formula one tracks um but uh that was the time that danica patrick was leading she was gonna win that race the and then the somebody country. threw a shoe on the racetrack <laughs> what yeah you don't remember this no i don't so yeah danica was was you know she's a great road course racer and uh and yeah she was leading and she was that was back when she was running the seven car for junior which secretly uh kind of the reason that steve arpin never got a proper shot in that car but yeah we'll, we'll, uh, we'll save that for another time yeah that's right and uh then yeah she was leading and uh yeah some filthy frenchman went and threw a shoe on the track <laughs> <laughs> and uh she ran it over and it it busted her uh i forget what they call it but it's basically like the third link for these cars it it, it came up because they run kind of a lift arm type deal and uh yeah it, it busted it and it was broken and she ended up having to retire from the race wow and uh yeah some some terrible terrible person really ruined her her only shot at a victory in uh in the top three series but in terms of a, a cup series type thing, I just don't see the the money and the fan amount there to make it yeah. work, which is the biggest reason why the lower series have, have run in the past. But I think that they did that more to see what kind of response they would get. And I just don't think it's been at the level that I would want to be. And also we don't really have a facility, at least on the oval side, that would really meet the requirements. There was uh, a planned Canadian motorsports oval in Southern Ontario that was planned and, and was going ahead for the longest period of time. And then the developers dropped out of the whole deal. And now they're leased to be able to build the track or whatever the permitting period is uh lapsed about a year ago and it was supposed to be a five eighths mile type of track that would start with testing for nascar drivers at all levels and then eventually would host a cup series race on oval Mm. and uh it's not going to come to fruition so um there has been plans in the past for it but it just clearly there's not enough to really make a go of it yeah i don't know it's tough i mean I, i think that in the right circumstances they could um and unfortunately i personally hate them but uh street circuits are kind of becoming a newer or a bigger thing because it's a lot easier to get the city to pay your promoter's fee because it's a lot easier for the city to see the direct payback right on having everybody mm-hmm. get together downtown um so you know that's really common you're seeing that with formula e they only race street circuits that's right and I just, I hate street circuits, man. Like, they're all just 90-degree corners, zero elevation change. They're all just the most boring circuits you could ever come up with in most cases. And uh, I, I just, I can't stand driving on them in, in, you know, video games and stuff. And they're just, they're terrible. But, hey, somebody's got to pay the promoter fee. And, uh, you know, you see series like IndyCar and, and uh, these other guys moving away from uh, permanent circuits and moving to street circuits because yeah. it's, you know the, the economics of it work out a lot better so bringing the race to the people exactly it's hard to bring the people to elkhart lake wisconsin but it's pretty easy to convince people to go to downtown chicago like they're talking about doing with nascar you know so it's uh 
it's easier to go about it that way. So I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe they could do. Uh, but the the other thing though, then it all falls apart when you start talking about a doubleheader weekend because yeah. nobody wants to pay double the ticket price. Right. Right. So you know, like a doubleheader in Toronto would actually work really good with the the Honda Indy Toronto. But uh, you know, and you can't keep that open for any extra period of time than they already do because they already shut down a big part of it for like a month um so you know something like that would work great but they probably would never do it well um, it definitely yeah, uh it definitely even a double header would still be cheaper than a a ticket for the strip for the las vegas uh grand prix is it a grand prix or f1, f1 race yeah yeah the, the grand f1, prix yeah, uh, yeah. The i, las vegas grand I prix, heard that's... tickets on the strip are going upwards of thirty-five thousand. Uh, Oh so, my god. <laughs> those are gonna be Well, I mean pockets. you could pay I'm sure there's there's you know higher end service even that you could uh, you could get oh, there. Absolutely. But uh, but you know, the, that's that's a whole other whole other thing. That's not um, dirt, so we're not interested. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, moving yeah. on. All right. Moving <laughs> on. Can you explain the difference between dry slick or tacky or too wet like we hear in your uh, question period? Yeah. Um, so the main thing that changes with a track as it goes from from wet, uh, it, it's on a spectrum, right? So when you're fully wet, when you're way too wet, you're, the track is all mucky and slippery and, uh, and slimy. There's tracks that every time they, they prep the track, they have to start with it so that it's so slimy. Greenbush was one place like that. Mm. You'd go to tr- pack the track and you're trying to keep your car straight in track packing and it you can't. And you're thinking, well, they might as well just fill this place up with water and we could go fishing maybe because we're not racing on this. Thing. <laughs> but then as you start to wear through that a little bit, then you start to get into that happy zone of being tacky where it's not way too slippery and it's actually got a ton of grip in it. It's got more grip than either too much water or not enough. And, uh, and then, yeah, you've got just maximum grip when you're in this nice tacky zone. And then as it continues to dry out, you just, you're going to be losing grip in the track. And, uh, and what that forces you to do is you have to less grip. You have to lower your cornering speeds, um, you know, as the night wears on. So, uh, that's the big challenge for racers is to, you know, when it goes dry slick, you're, you're running, two two and a half seconds slower per lap than when it's it's dead tacky like it is in the heat race so as a driver you have to go from driving like a complete animal when it's tacky like just chucking it in and standing on the throttle and just you know reckless abandon to putting your your nice white gloves on and driving (laughs) super precise and a Sunday being a drive total gentleman. <laughs> exactly. You're, you know, just being like not spinning the tires once and being so careful. You know, that's the other end of the spectrum that you see when it's it's totally dry. And I think it's important to note that a dry slick doesn't mean dust storm either. While there is right. dust that comes up in a dry slick track, it's not a marbly, dusty mess um, where there's almost no grip when it's dusty like that. It's uh, very exactly. difficult to gain t- because it's just like driving on marbles or walking on marbles. You ever walked on marbles? Yeah, that's pretty hard to do. It's a say, similar type yeah. thing. Now, in a lot of occasions, you know, you have enough cars, it starts to blow that off and you can 
it's like an awful ALH is a prime example of where they would uh, it would start off uh, a little marbly and eventually uh, slick off. Um, the key is to, and this is where it's difficult as a track promoter for 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 track prep side is to be able to transition uh, from that tacky, and every track's different because different material. But to try in all your experience and knowledge to be able to go from a, a, a tacky track to a dry slick track with a minimal amount of marbles and dust as part of that transition. Uh, yeah, keeping that keeping the surface sealed over nice and smooth is critical to providing a good race. Surface. That's right. And of course, you know, wind, sunlight, temperature, time of day all makes a difference in how that works. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. I think the simplest way for me, who's a non-race car driver, um, to explain to non-race car people is that when your racetrack is sticky, um, the, all the grip for the cars come from the racetrack for the most part. Like you could have a, a, a slick tire. If the track is super tacky, you're still going to get a ton of grip. Um, but as the track dries out and it gets into dry slick, you have to rely on the little grip that you have on your tires uh, to be able to get that horsepower onto the racetrack. And so that's where the whole gentleman type side of it comes into play when it slicks off because the only grip you have is in your tires because there's almost no grip left in the racetrack when it dries out like that. So when it's tacky, it's hammered down and there's lots of grip in the track. And when it dries out, well, the only grip you have left are in your tires and you have to be very careful not to burn that grip right off. And then there's the one more situation to talk about, which is, on the other very end of the spectrum, uh, once the track starts to take rubber, that's right. Just um, about to you know, say they'll that they'll call it going going black or blue or go, locking down is usually how people refer to it because you know a, a dry slick track will be slick and smooth all the way across, and you know there's no one lane that's really that much faster than the other, and they can put on some really good races. Mm-hmm. But as the cars run one groove more, the track will start to take rubber. And then that rubber provides a lot more grip and uh, pretty quickly, like you can see it happen on the stopwatch where the guys are picking up one to two tenths per lap. They're getting faster and faster and faster as the race goes on, because as it's picking up rubber, they're able to drive it in harder and harder and harder. And it gets to the point where you're almost driving it like it's tacky again. Yeah. It, It takes, it gives that much grip. Yeah, usually they call that locking down because it only happens in one groove and that's the only fast line around the track. And when it locks down like that, the races are generally not good. So, but But once again, uh, that depends on a lot of situations. Banking of the racetrack can make a difference. I have seen on the rare occasion where you've seen it locked down in both a low groove and a high groove. And I've seen some really good racing that way, but it's very rare because if you have a field of 20 cars and everyone's trying to block each other um, because that's the bottom's the fastest way around, well, then you're not going to add extend any grip, but it depends, you know, it's circumstances are different. And it even, it could be as simple as where do you place your, uh, your infield tractor tires? That's right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because rather you move them during intermission or you leave them where they're set, that can all factor in too. That's right. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. That's why no two racetracks are ever the same. Oh, exactly. And for the, it's a lovely, lovely challenge of it. It is. And you know, a lot of the fans, they, they come to see the races. They don't, you know, necessarily appreciate the surface of the racetrack. So as somebody like myself or you, Anthony, who's, you know, maintained the tracks, built the tracks to walk on 
the track surface after race, after the night is over, you would think it's not even the same surface you're on. It's completely different. That's right. I take pictures of every racetrack surface after the night's done because I I take notes in terms of what I did for that day in that particular weather um, and where everybody ended up and how I can possibly change that for next time or try something different. And sometimes trying something different doesn't work out, but when you're on a new racetrack and, you know, like I've said, we're going to reclay the other half of the track that we did last year. Well, the clay's a little bit different. It's another learning type thing, but you know, you gotta, you know, you have to look at what's happening every time you go out there and you're right. You know, the fan, the average fans, they just want to be entertained. Um, the average driver wants to make it racy. Um, the, the average promoter wants to make it as good as possible for everybody. And that's not always possible, but I think that it's always important to, to take those notes or be mindful of, uh, of things that have occurred. And, uh, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. My brother's very first race was a win, was on a lockdown type racetrack. Um, and then the next time it was like hammer down, tacky as can be, and four wide all the way through for the next win. So, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it depends on the circumstance. But, hey, a win's a win. doesn't matter what surface you're on. They don't ask how, they ask how many. That's right. <laughs> hey, man, yeah. bumping's racing. That's right. <laughs> I love a good bump and run every once in a while. Sure. Eight tires do turn better than four. But that's, you know why they call it a bump and run, right? No. Because after you bump them, you better get away from them as fast as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's true. With that being said, I'll lead you guys into the last question of the mailbag episode here. Um, Sure. So let's go back in time. You were racing against Dale Earnhardt Sr. Do you give him the good old bump and run for the win? Or do you try and sneak by clean? Could you sneak by clean on Dale Earnhardt? That's what I was thinking too. Because even I don't, if I don't, you give him the a, bump and run, it's going to come back to bite you. It's a bump and run. I mean, you can't sneak. No. There's no sneak. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you do, he's just going to get you. Yeah. Uh, well, I, don't, I, I don't know. I uh, I generally don't, don't do any of the I, bump and run type stuff. And so I'm probably not very good at it. Right. So I would probably end up uh, screwing myself over in the process. Uh, it probably takes a little bit of practice to get those moves right. Mm. And I don't have any of that practice. So. And you'd actually have to be in know. second place when it happens. That's right. And, uh, running against <laughs> Terminator, that'd be pretty tough to do. But I don't know. I guess I'd, I'd like to think I could, but in reality, I probably couldn't pull it off. <laughs> I'd probably be too scared to wreck the car and, you know, get a few choice words. Sure. Yeah. But it's like they uh, they say when you're, you know, when you're driving, you get an opportunity to go test something or, or drive something for someone. Uh, you know, experienced guys will tell you, go out there and give it, like, give them hell. And don't be worried about breaking anything. Because if you go out there and you're slow, They'll thank you for coming out, and, and you'll never get a call back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go out there and you wreck something, but you're really fast, they might forgive you. They might not, but they'll never forgive you for being slow. So it's a tricky, uh, tricky line to walk when you're getting a tryout. You know. Oh, I much rather yeah. be fast and messy than slow and clean any day. That's right. Yeah. 
Right on. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and uh, and running the mailbag for us here. This was fun. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, I had to push back today's time. Don't matter. The <laughs> listeners won't know. Yeah, that's right. You got you almost got away with it. Almost. <laughs> you tattled on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. All right. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Max, for uh, for being here, and thank you to each and every one of you for. Being a part of Bench Racing Radio, season number two. Can you believe it? we made it to 40 episodes? This was supposed to be over at episode eight or nine. Uh, we're still here. We're going to do this again this fall. We might actually have a couple treats uh, up our sleeves this summer. We'll see. We'll have to We'll have to duke it all out here over the next couple of months while we wait for things to melt so we can go racing. Otherwise, we will see you on the flip side. Have yourselves a great summer, a great racing season. Best of luck to you all. We'll see you at the racetrack. Thanks for listening to Bench Racing Radio. Like and follow our social media handles. Facebook at Bench Racing Radio. Twitter at Bench Racing Rat 1. Or Instagram at Bench Racing Radio.